Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Some enthusiasm, some feedback. Um, I hope I did not get myself in trouble by, by saying, if you've not signed up, just come along anyway to Growth Track. If you all show up, we'll be in trouble. Uh, but you know what? We'll make it work. Uh, we'll make it work. We believe in a God who multiplies food, right? Yeah? So yeah, it'd be lovely to have you a- a- along. Basically, if you're new to church, this is your next step um, of just uh, getting to know the church a little bit more, uh, what we do, what we stand for, what we believe in. Um, and it's also a chance just to explore yourself and get to know you, how God has created you because he's gifted you uh, individually um, and he's got a calling on your life. And, and so this helps you, Growth Track helps you find your place and your purpose in order to make a difference uh, in the world we live in, which is what we're all aiming for, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, listen, um, you know, we're preaching today um, just a once-off message, um, which God's laid on my heart, so it's not part of a series at all. Um, but just as I was, I was um, just praying and, and, uh, and, and, and just seeking God on what to share, um, he, he directed me to just some, some scripture that I want to look at uh, today, and I trust that it is a blessing. And my, my sermon title today is, You Can Make a Difference. You can make a difference. And, um, you know, how many of you know, when you walk through town, maybe Mansfield, or I don't know where, you may be from another town, or, or, or maybe you just look at the switch on the television and you see everything going on in the world, um, there's probably, a, you know, we can think of some changes that we would like to see, right? Yeah. We can probably all think of some changes, things that we'd like to see change in the world that we live in. I know, for me, I walk through the, the town centre most days. I work just down uh, on, on Westgate, and, and I walk through the Mansfield town centre on a regular basis. And, and, and almost every time I walk through, unless I'm really preoccupied with, with uh, thing, thoughts in my head, I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I'd like to see that different, or I'd like to see that change. I, I, I see all those vacant shops in the town center, and I can't help but think, wow, if, if money was no object, what could we do with those shops? What could we, what could we create there to, to see kind of life coming in to those vacant places in the town center? So I, I'd like to see change uh, in that, but not only on the buildings. Um, you know, sometimes you walk down and you see, you see people and you think, God, I'd love to see people change. You know, there's people um, that, that are just needing Jesus, that are needing change uh, in their lives. I mean, I've been um, a spectator on, on married couples, or married couples, but certainly couples um, falling out right there on Westgate. I've seen a few arguments happening uh, right before me. It's a little bit awkward, like they're shouting at the top of their lungs, just, you know, cursing each other and, and, and right there in the front of everyone in the shopping street. And I'm thinking, Poof, well, you know, there's, there's some change needed there, isn't there? And so, you know, we, we do have so much to be thankful for, uh, don't we? Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in a negative sense, because God is so good to us. We've got a great town. We've, we've got so many things in this country that we're blessed with and, and can be thankful for. But there's also so much that could change, so many improvements um, that we could, we, we could think of. And, you know, we may look to, to mayors and, and, you know, they have responsibility, our, our mayor, our MPs, our, our town councillors, 
We probably look to teachers and we think, you know, they can make a change or a difference. We look at the police force, maybe the NHS or, or, or whoever. And all of these people do have a responsibility and, and all of them can make a difference um, and, and perhaps should make a difference. And we, we should be praying for them. But you know what? We can also make a difference. In fact, you can make a difference. And so I just want to talk into that a little bit this morning. The Bible tells us of a time when God's chosen people, Israel, needed change as well. So they were slaves in Egypt at the time, and and they weren't living the life that God had promised their forefathers, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, He promised that there would be a great nation, that we're going to have this wonderful land that they were going to possess. But yet they found themselves living in slavery. And so God called a man, Moses, and um, he, he called him and he said, I want you to lead my people out of slavery. In other words, Moses, I want you to make a difference. And, uh, and, and so when we read in the Bible um, the story of Moses, we can just see how he made a difference. And I'm hoping that that's something that can inspire us today because we can make a difference. You can make a difference. In fact, get some participation. Why don't you say, I can make a difference? Say that out loud. I can make a difference. Do you believe that? You can make a difference. You see, yes, you might be um, sitting there and saying, well, it's actually God that makes all the difference. And that's true. But you know what? He uses people to bring about the change. He uses us, you and me, to make a difference in the world uh, that we live in. So he needs people like us to, to stand up. You see, we can be a part of making the difference between life and death for some people, between hope and hopelessness for others, between people finding purpose and living lives of purposelessness. We can make a difference between people feeling loved or, or feeling unloved. And we could go on on, on those and, and name many other things that where we can make a difference. And so let's look at the life of Moses and and just see how that uh, applies to us. You see, there's many differences between us and Moses uh, in terms of when he lived, but there's also many similarities. The fact is that Moses was chosen by God, and we are chosen too. He was chosen to deliver his people, uh, the people of Israel, out of slavery. But, you know, we've been chosen too to play a part in, in seeing people delivered from slavery in, in a figurative sense of the word, uh, delivered from their chains, from their, their prisons often. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke um, 4 verse 18, and he was talking about himself, but um, bear in mind that we're carrying on the mission that Jesus had. Luke 4.18 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that was an Old Testament verse, which Jesus quoted uh, in this this part of the Bible. And he said, this is fulfilled today. In other words, it's fulfilled through Jesus. So, But it applies to us because Jesus lived on the earth, did what he did, and then he left and he said, I've left the work to you now. I've left for you to carry on. 
And he said, you will do the same things that I did. You will do even greater things. And so there's a part of that, that, that we are also anointed to do these things, to see change come, to make a difference. But you see, the important thing is that we first have to get to a point where we see ourselves through the same lenses and the same eyes that God sees us in order to do that. Because I know the temptation is for me and probably for you too, is to look at ourselves, to minimize ourselves, to think, well, what difference can I make? Stephen, you've spoken about all these big things that are, that are going on. What difference can, can little me make in this grand scheme of things? But, but you know what? God has chosen us. He's called us. And if we can only see ourselves through God's eyes, that can be the step towards really making a difference. Ephesians 1.8 is going to come up on the screen. It says this, and this is Paul again writing, I pray that your hearts, some versions say the eyes of your heart, uh, will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. You see, if you, if you know Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior, we can pray that our eyes will be opened up, that we will see the hope, that we will see the confidence that we hope that we have in Jesus, that we will actually be able to see exactly who he has called us to be and that we can make a difference. And so I just want to bring out three, three points today, which I believe are going to speak into to people's lives this morning that are going to minister to you and that, that maybe you've heard before, but you just need to be reminded And the first thing is this, that God sees you and you are acceptable. You are acceptable. You see, we live, we live in a world that, that rejection is quite a common thing and, and rejection hurts. I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, all of us probably, have, have felt rejection at some time before. Some of us even live with that label posted upon us rejected. Maybe, you know, those, those labels that they put when something's broken, damaged goods, out of date even. And so people speak these things over us. And so we, we maybe start to feel rejected. That starts to, to be who we think we are. And so we end up living lives where we do one of two things. We either try to insulate ourselves from rejection so we never try to do anything because we're scared of failure or rejection or somebody's going to reject us. Or else, the other thing that we do is that um, we do anything for acceptance. So we, we'll go like do silly stuff just because we want to be accepted, because we want to know that people accept us. You know, I, I probably live, I lived in, in various parts of my life with, with the fear of rejection as well. And I, I mean, a funny story Eleni always gets embarrassed when I, when I share this, but, um, but well before Eleni and I started going out, I really fancied her, but I was in a place where I was so scared. I had an inkling that she did too, but I was so scared of rejection that it was actually Eleni that eventually asked me out, right? I, I know. 
I know. And she gets embarrassed about that. But you know what? I was there and I was, I was like, God, I'm I, I just not sure. If I ask her out and she rejects me, it's going to shatter me. And so anyway, the, the great part is that obviously 15, more than 15 years ago, we're almost 15 years married now, that Eleni was bold enough to, to ask me out. And the rest of the story is, is, is a great story. So sometimes we need to be bold, but, but we can easily live in that place. It's a funny and a silly story, but we can live in that place where we're like, I'm not, just not going to take a chance because I just don't want to even deal with the rejection that may come my way. But then we can also go to the other side where we'll do anything just to get acceptance. And you know, I've been in that place too. Again, as a young man, before I was ever, um, I'd ever met Alini, but I remember in my university days and we went away with a group of friends to, um, to we went away to um, a place called Betty's Bay, which is about a couple of hours from Cape Town where I was studying. Um, and beautiful place, um, you know, mountains, coastline, there's a beautiful river that just kind of goes through there, and the, there's a bridge that goes across the river. And I, if you, do, if you know me very well, I'm not an adrenaline junkie at all, like quite the opposite. Adrenaline just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. Don't, I'm not going to skydive. I'm not going to bungee jump. I'm not going to do any of that. But on this particular occasion, there was a group, and it was a mixture of guys and girls, and and so um, a few of the guys were like, let's go up to the top of this bridge. Because um, we kind of, we were down at the river and we parked the car and said, let's go up onto the bridge. Because this is what a lot of the guys used to do is they used to go to the bridge. It was about 15 meters high. So that's about 50 feet. And then they'd jump into the river. And bear in mind, it was a rocky river. So you had, like, if you jumped in the wrong place, you could really hurt yourself. And, and so I was like, oh, my word. I can't believe this. So anyway, being a man, uh, you know, I went along with the guys and, and so went up to the top and we were surveying, you know, the jump and, and uh, one of my friends did a silly thing. He jumped and he was fine. He got in. He was like, yeah, I've done it. And at that point, we were standing, the other two of us were standing at the top and we were like, we need to do this now. I mean, there's no way a man can, can, can walk down from that bridge. When the first one's jumped, you've got to jump too. And so I was like, I need to do this for acceptance. You know, you don't want to look bad in front of the girls, do you? And so never have done it before, never will again, but I jumped. And I didn't hurt myself and it was fine enough. You know, you meant to enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> At all. But you know what? We'll do anything just for acceptance, won't we? We'll go and do things that are totally out of character. We'll do things that, that just because we just want to be accepted, because we don't want to be the person who's, who's, who's the scaredy cat who, who walks down from the top of the bridge. So that's what we do when we look for acceptance, isn't it? You know, for Moses, a little bit of Moses' background and, is that he was, he was born... Uh, into an Israelite family in slavery. And um, at the time, uh, the, the Pharaoh was put into death, all these baby boys that were born. So his mum hid him for a little while, and then eventually, you, you probably know the story, uh, put him in a basket um, on, the, on the Nile River and uh, tried to hide him. And eventually he got found by the princess um, of Egypt. And, and so, so Moses was brought up initially by his mum and then eventually in the, in the palace to be 
a prince. And uh, this was the way uh, he was brought up. But he always knew that he was a Hebrew as well. He always knew he was an Israelite. And, and so his heart was still for his people. And, and the Bible tells us that came to a point where he was grown up and, and, and he saw an, an Egyptian uh, slave master abusing one of the, uh, the slaves and whipping him. And, and, and anger rose up in him. And so he looked around and nobody was looking. And he, and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Um, so he murdered a man, and, and um, he thought it was, it was uh, fine, and nobody had seen it, but uh, the news got out, and uh, initially the Israelites heard about it, and, and eventually Pharaoh uh, heard it, about it and tried to, tried to, to, to put him to death, and, and so he had to flee. Uh, and so Moses fleed from this place of being a prince of Egypt. Um, he, he fleed into the desert, and, and the Bible tells us that he... Um, he found a place there and became a shepherd and found family there. And, and from this place of such significance, went to this place of real uh, insignificance. Like he'd, taken, he'd, he'd made a mistake. He'd messed it up and uh, he was banished to the desert. And, and yet in that place is the place that God found him and God called him. And, and Exodus um, 3 verse 6 uh, says this, that Moses hid his face when God spoke to him. It, you may remember the story, the burning bush. He was herding his, his sheep or looking after the sheep, and he saw this bush that was burning, but it wasn't burning up. Uh, and so he went there, and it, of course the presence of God was there. He said it's holy ground. And, and, and when God spoke to him, it says this, that Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Because he, he didn't think he'd find acceptance with God because of everything that he'd done. He was afraid of this holy God, and he was just this, this man who was, was imperfect, just this insignificant uh, shepherd who'd, who'd killed a man, who had this shameful past. He was fearful. You see, we can always often be like that when, when God calls us, when God calls your, your name. We can be afraid of God because of the things we've done, maybe because we've, of what we have done or what we haven't done, because of the bodies that are buried in the sand, the skeletons that are in the closet, the things that we've done in our past. Can I say today, if God's calling your name, that through Jesus you are acceptable. You are acceptable no matter what's happened in your past. If you bring it to Jesus, uh, if you accept his forgiveness, you are acceptable. There's nothing you have done in your past that can't be overcome by the blood of Jesus. He died on the cross. And so, you know, if he's calling your name today, don't let that hold you back. You're acceptable when you accept him as your, your savior. Titus 3.7 is going to come up on the screen. It says this, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Not because of what we've done or what we haven't done, because of the grace of God, that we can know that we have acceptance, that we don't have to strive for acceptance with people, but that we can rest in the acceptance that we find in God. David says this in Psalm 27.10. It's not going to come up on the screen or anything, but he says that, even if your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will still hold you close. How great is that to know? No matter what 
person lets you down, even if it's the closest people to you, you're still acceptable to God. See yourself through God's eyes. You are acceptable. That's the first point. The second thing I want to say is this, that you are valuable. When, when God spoke to Moses in Exodus 3.11, he said this. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God had said to him, I want you to rescue your people from slavery. He said, Who am I? He felt insignificant, you see, and that can be so easily something we say. We don't think we have value. Who am I? I'm just Stephen Robbins. But yet God sees you as valuable. See, what creates value in something or someone? Oftentimes it's who it belongs to. So if, if it belongs to maybe a celebrity or something, something suddenly that's quite small has a lot of value. I, I was, was looking up before, before I spoke here today, and, and apparently, you know that little white glove of Michael Jackson? Guess how much, any takers, guess how much that sold for on auction? Half a mil. Half a mil. A little bit high, but not, not, not far off. 260,000 pounds. It was in dollars, but I've done the conversion. 260,000 pounds for a little white glove that Michael Jackson had, right? It was a value, really, not because it was a white glove of any great, you know, special glove, but it was just because it was Michael Jackson's. For those of you that are a little bit older, uh, the ruby red slippers that Judy Garland wore in The Wizard of Oz many, many years ago sold for 2.2 million pounds just because there were her red shoes or red slippers. You see, something has value often because of who it belongs to. And so uh, that applies to us because you know who you belong to. Yeah? You belong to the King of Kings. You belong to the Lord of Lords. You are His possession. Therefore, you have value too. The other thing is that something has value because of what somebody's willing to pay for it. I get this all the time uh, because I, I work in mortgages and, and you get people coming in who think their house is worth more than it is. But ultimately, your house is worth what, what somebody's willing to pay for it. Um, you can have all the theory that it's worth £100,000 if somebody only pays 50. That's what it's worth. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 23. It's not going to come up on the screen or anything, but it says that we were bought and we were paid a price for by Christ. You know what? He paid for you. Christ paid his very life for you. God gave his very son for you. The price that is upon you is a great price that someone was willing to pay. You have value because of whose you are and because that somebody was willing to pay such a high price for you. Don't let anyone tell you any different. He risked everything for you. He died on the cross for you. He paid a high price for you. You're not only acceptable, but you have value too. In fact, I'd encourage you guys to speak it out. Speak it out over yourself. I have value. I am chosen. I belong to Jesus. He prayed a, paid a high price for me because I am worth it. You're worth it. 
Sound familiar? I don't even know. Who, who's, that, who's that for? Who's that? Is it L'Oreal? L'Oreal. I need to remember that. When my wife's birthday comes around again, L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Okay, focus, focus. You're acceptable. You're valuable. But thirdly, you're also capable. You say you, you may be acceptable and you may be valuable, but you're not just an ornament to sit on the shelf. You're not just something that is there for display, like the white glove of Michael Jackson. You see, in our house, nothing's an ornament. Nothing's an ornament. The kids play with everything. So everything has a purpose. No matter if it's meant to be an ornament, it's always got a purpose of, you know, been something in their imagination, their games and their imagination. But you know, you're not just a trophy of his grace. You are, but you're more than that. You're not just for display. You are fit for use. I was going to say, you're not just for display. You're a tool, but then that might be interpreted in the wrong way. So I'm not going to say that, okay? You are useful in his hands. You are capable. You see, often we don't feel capable or useful. Um, Our attitude can be one of, I just can't do it, or just ask somebody else, God. And that was Moses' attitude in Exodus 4. Listen to some of Moses' objections when when, um, God spoke to him. He said this, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? And obviously God then showed him these miracles that he could do with his, his staff, the signs and wonders that he could use with what he had been given. You see, God gives us what we need. We already have it in our hand. But it's so easy to get to that point of excuses, isn't it? God, they're not going to believe me that I'm coming on your behalf. He he went on. He had more excuses. Verse 10, Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh God, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. And even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Me too. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. Wow. God will equip you. God will instruct you. Moses still has objections. Finally, Moses runs out of excuses. He said, he can't argue anymore with God. He just says, but Moses pleaded, Lord, please just send, send anyone else. And the Bible tells us that God was angry and, and he relented. And he said, okay, take your brother Aaron. Uh, with you because he speaks well. And, and, and so he took Aaron and, and the two of them made a great team. But aren't we so often the same as Moses? God, I can't do it. Not me, God. They won't respect me. I'm not capable. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the skills. See, we so often struggle with that low self-esteem, maybe due to bad experiences, maybe due to words spoken over you, whatever the reason is. 
God wants to say to you today that you are capable. Apparently, studies show that the younger you are when negative words are spoken over you, sharing this with Eleni last night, the harder it is to get over it. You know, I, I was challenged with that for my kids. God, may I just speak positive words over them, that they are able. But I don't know your background. I don't know your situation. But let's not, let's not prove we can capable, be capable out of trying to prove, prove people wrong, because that's like a negative motivation, isn't it? Let's focus on the truth. And I shared this, this scripture with the guys uh, in the pre-service prayer, but I'll, I'll share it again. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 6 says this, We're confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It's not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. We're capable, in other words, because of God. He's enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. You see, just the same as Moses, we're capable for really two reasons, and I'm not a million miles away from, from finishing up here. We're capable because of two reasons. First, because God instructs us and gives us his wisdom. God, God did that for Moses, didn't he? He instructed him. He spoke to him. He explained Use your staff. We'll use it for miracles. I'll, I'll empower you. This is what you're meant to do. So he went with Moses every step of the way. You know, we have instruction and wisdom in, in the Word of God. Again, I won't read it in detail, but 2, Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful for teaching, for preparing, equipping And the second reason is this, that we're capable because God goes with us and gives us strength. God goes with us. He he went with Moses. And he gave Moses strength. And the same for us when he calls us. He will give us strength too. Philippians 4.13, you know it well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, if you feel small, foolish, If you feel insignificant, God loves using people like that for his purposes. God delights in using the simple to shame the wise. It often shows his might, doesn't it? How he can use anyone. Sometimes the simpler we are, the more we rely on God. Whereas when we get wise and we think we know it all in our minds, we tend to just do it on our own strength. And that's why God loves using the, the humble, the simple, uh, to, to shame the wise because he, he fills them with his power and he uses them. Hmm. Apparently psychologists say that um, your self-image or perceptions of yourself are largely determined by how the most important person in your life sees you. So, you know, I don't know if it's a child, maybe their, their mother or their father, how they see them, that, that affects their self-image. You know, if you know Jesus here today as your Lord and Savior, then he is the most important person. The most important person in your life. And you know what he thinks of you? He thinks you're acceptable. He thinks you're valuable. He thinks you're capable 
think it's so important that we, we realize that we can make a difference. But the way we make a difference is seeing ourselves through God's eyes, seeing ourselves exactly who we are, that we can make a difference if we focus on who He says we are. It's so important to be practical and how can we be the difference? What difference can we make? Well, you know, you need to think about that for your world. It's a question you you need to ask yourself. Because this isn't just from a church perspective. I'm not preaching this message just so that you'll join in with what we're doing at Arena. In fact, quite, quite the opposite. I pray that you're making an impact in your streets, in your workplaces, wherever you are, because Arena's church's uh, reach is, is limited in a sense, uh, but you're, you're going out to, to all corners of this community and in, into your homes, wherever, and, and you can make a difference there. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor of a church, and yes, we can make a, d- a difference together as well. And so that's why we gather, uh, you know, as church. We, because when we gather and we pool our, our talents and our resources and our abilities, then we can do a lot more than, than little Stephen and Alini can do on, on their own in this corner. When we gather together with a whole army of people, we can do so much more. You know, that's why we're doing Serve Day on the 14th of, of, uh, of July. Um, put it in your diaries. We're going to g- gather together as, as Arena Church. We're going to put on some red t-shirts. And we're going to be out in our community, serving the community and in all sorts of ways. And there's more to come. But just put that in your diary. Why? Because we believe we can make a difference. I'm going to walk down that street again to work and I'll be frustrated and I'll see those disused buildings. I'll, I'll see those people that don't know Jesus. And I can't do everything. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We can do something. We can make a difference in our town and in our community. Saturday, the 14th of July, put it in your diary. But you know what? It's, it's happening all around us. There's people like Louise and Leslie, care for a coffee and and, you know, everything they're doing there just to, to open up the building. And it's a great group of people and great community. And, and you know, that, that's what church is about. It should be a place where people belong. I know there's many of, many of you here that are blessed by, by care for a coffee. And, and, and what a, you know, what a great job they're doing. Every single one of them. And there's so many other things that we could say about just looking to make a difference in the town that we live in. Making a difference.